reason for that, because I'd cut my mic off. Is there anyone that does not have an outline tonight? Okay. Hey, Ken, uh, Johnny, you're so nice. Johnny, we have a Carol back there who needs one. There we go. Hey, while I am getting set up, because once again, we have a lot of notes tonight, and I need to get set up so, I can, so we can flow. I want to tell you that I am so open to you emailing me, calling me, asking questions. Tim Perkins told me earlier today he was looking for a study Bible this week, and he said, I almost called you uh, a couple of times to ask your opinion on it, and he ended up, he, he went to Lifeway and found uh, a great study Bible. Um, but even if it's a question such as that, if, you, if you're curious about a study Bible or any kind of tool, if you have a question about anything that we've been talking about, anything that we're going to talk about, any questions at all, I want to give you my email address because it's changed like 30 times okay, in the last four years. And so I want to give you the one that I look at uh, every day. And it is my first and last name. It is colbymache at gmail.com. I would say that, you know, if you email me tonight, I will see it because it goes right to my cell phone. I just pick up that phone and look at my email. But the problem is, yesterday, I poured out some coffee, and then I dropped my cell phone in the coffee that I poured out. So, I have no idea how I pulled that off, but I did. But I will get another phone, and I will have an email, and I will check it. So, if you have any questions, please, please uh, ask me, okay? Before we get going tonight, I want us to go to the Word of God. So open with me to a passage we were in this morning. It's 1 Corinthians chapter... We're going to be in chapter 1 and we're going to look at chapter 2 for just a few minutes. And I'm in 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look with me at verses 18. We're going to read through verse 25. This is such a humbling passage. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weaknesses and the weakness of God is stronger to men. We know that our God has no weakness. Just saying our God is great. Our God is the one ultimately who has wisdom and gives wisdom. 
Look over to chapter 2. We're going to read the verses that we looked at just this morning. Verse 10 through 13. It says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Word of God, the, the Word of the Gospel. What we believe about Jesus, what we believe about eternal life, what we believe about what we say we give our life to. These things God has revealed to us, not through men, but through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We're going to, we're going to begin tonight, and if you look at your outline, it's the first thing. It's a foundational assumption Okay, we, we can go no longer in this study if this is not known to us. It's an assumption that we, that I am assuming that everything that we do from here on out, that you understand this to be true from the Word of God. It's a foundational assumption. And here it is. We are desperate and dependent for the Holy Spirit to teach us, guide us, and mold us. In the Word of God. Now you may not realize that you're desperate. Your attitude and your heart may not be desperate, but listen to me, myself included, we must be desperate and we are dependent on the Holy Spirit to impart wisdom in our heart. There's no amens to that, but I mean, it, that is an amen I need from you. Amen. We need that. And so what I want to do right now is I want to go to the Word in prayer. I mean, I want to go to the Lord in prayer, not the Word in prayer. The Lord in prayer. And ask Him to put heavy on our hearts our desperate need for Him, for His Spirit. So let's go to the Lord. Father, please... Ignite in us a great passion and a great desire for you. We desperately need your Spirit's work in our lives. For everything. We, we need you for everything. And Father, please help us not... Get a mindset that a study Bible can give us all we need. Or some method can give us all we need. No, you, Lord, and you alone can give us all we need. We acknowledge that tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You know, it hit me just when I was making this outline. And I'll be, I'll be quick with this. But there was quite a few... Sources that I looked at, but there were really two main influences, and one of them asked a good question. His name is Francis Chan. He's a, he was a pastor in California right now. He's, a, he's a, a speaker. He's a missionary. Francis Chan, 
had spent some time speaking with a Jehovah's Witness. And I know Kathy and, and a few other people, they know about this because we watched a video the other day at ACA. But he had been spending time with a Jehovah's Witness and the guy had come into his house and he was sharing with them. He asked, could he share some truths? This is the Jehovah's Witness speaking. And Francis said, well, yeah, as long as I can share with you. And so he allowed the guy to speak and the guy began to tell him about how Michael, the archangel, was the Messiah. If you didn't know that, Jehovah's Witness believed that. Francis said, can I ask you a question? He said, well, sure. He said, you're telling me that you picked up this book right here and you went from the very beginning of it to the end of it and you came to the conclusion that Michael, the archangel, is the Messiah. You've got to be kidding me. Okay? There is no way you can go from beginning to end of this book right here and come to that conclusion. Some man had to tell you that. Francis said the guy was, he seemed a little confused. And he said he even began to think a little bit highly of himself. And as the guy was walking out the door, he, you know, he really had a heart for him. He wanted him to know Christ. He doesn't know if he ever did, but he kind of thought, well, I stumped him today, didn't I? And then all of a sudden, he asked himself a question. He said, hmm, <laughs> I've been educated through a seminary. I've been a pastor for 15, 20 years. But now I need to ask a question. Do I believe what I believe because I opened up this book, went from beginning to end? Or is it because somebody told me what to believe? And for the last few years of his life, he's been on a mission to study the Word of God, to read it, to hear from it directly, not to ignore the teachings of men. I want you to know I, there are some godly people in this world and I am so glad they open their mouth and speak and they use their hands and they write. Okay. But you just ask a good question. Do I believe what I believe because somebody told me or because the Spirit of God opened me up to that truth? It's a great question to ask. But moving on. Let's get in to our study. So far, we've looked at, we've had two weeks. I've enjoyed these weeks. The first one, we looked at our need for the Bible. <clears throat> Second week, last week, we looked at the nature of the Bible. And by the way, if you missed one of those and you, you want to listen to it, it's not hard. All you got to do is call the office, uh, email me, email somebody at the church. We will get you a copy of it, okay? But tonight, we're going to move in, finally, to really looking at how to study the Bible. And tonight, the title is this, The Need to Interpret the Bible. Now that's a word that for some of you, you're going to get a little hesitant on. And that's okay. Just trust me, I will explain what I mean by that. But the need to interpret the Bible. Now when we use the word interpret, and when we start really looking at digging in the Scripture, doing some study of the Scripture, sometimes people get a little hesitant, don't they? You start hearing a lot of statements. I'm going to give you a few that I hear. One is this. You don't have to interpret the word. Just do it. Yeah, okay. I don't understand all this studying you're talking about, all this education you're talking about. Just read the word and do it. 
All right? Another one is this. This is one of my favorites. This happens a lot. And keep in mind, I have a theological degree. And so this one, it, it hurts my stomach. Okay, but this happens a lot. You take your theology, I'll take my Jesus. Well, interesting enough, theology is the study of God. And so I usually ask people when they say that, I'll, without being rude, I'll just say, well, I'm just curious, what do you believe about love? Well, let's say the Bible says, oh, wait, wait a second, you just said you don't care about theology. So don't tell me what the Bible says about love, because that's your theology, buddy, okay? See, theology is the study of God. And we get our knowledge about God, who He is, and what He's done from the Bible, Okay, so trust me, everyone in this room, you have a theology. It could possibly be a bad one, okay, but you have a theology. But you take your theology, I'll take my Jesus. And then the last one, this is pretty common. Hey, buddy, you go get your education, but just remember, Peter was a fisherman, not a scholar. Okay, well, the great news about this is all of those statements that I just gave you have some great truth to them. In fact, the first one that I said, you don't have to interpret the word, just do it. Guess what? I wholeheartedly agree to a, I mean, I I will give them props for that statement because there's a whole lot of truth to that. In fact, most of the problems that we have in the local church is not people unable to understand the word of God. It's people who can understand it and they just don't do it. Okay, so I wholeheartedly can agree to some truth to that statement. Philippians 2, verse 14, it says, Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Well, that's pretty black and white. Okay, there's very little wiggle room there. Okay, do everything. So I guess that means do everything without grumbling or arguing. Mm, okay, in the local church, I bet we could walk around the building and probably find somebody grumbling and find somebody arguing. It's pretty easy to happen, but is that difficult to interpret? No, okay, it's not. A large part of our problem, the greatest problem that we have in the local church, yeah, it's not people that are ignorant of what the text says. It's people who know what it says and just ignore it, okay? So I'm all about some of the truths that come from these statements, But let me tell you, I believe it to be a bit ignorant for us to live believing that there is no need for digging in the Word of God, for the study of the Word of God, for, I'll use the word, interpreting the Word of God. Now let me help define a little bit what I mean by interpreting. Look at your next blank. The goal of our interpretation is this. It is to discover the meaning... Of the text that we're reading. Now how many of you, when you read the Bible, you want to know what it means? I would imagine all, okay? When we read a text, it's not wrong to desire to know what the meaning is. What is the intent of this passage? What is the intent of this letter or this book? There's nothing wrong with asking that question. That's a good question. Now, I'm not saying that we twist and we take things and we try to build our own interpretations to fit our own evil, sinful desires. I didn't say that. I'm saying we want to know what the meaning of the text is. Why did God reveal this to us? That's what we mean by interpretation. So that's a pretty healthy definition, I think. I think that's a pretty healthy activity to do. 
That should be our main goal, just to understand the meaning of the text that we are reading. There is going to be some difficulties that you and I are going to have in proper interpretation. That's where it gets fun tonight, okay? Because some might say, well, this is easy. I just read the text. I just look for the meaning. And by the way, good news, a lot of the times, the meaning of the text is pretty plain in the writings. A lot of times, it's kind of on the surface. You know, we'll do a lot of digging, and we can pull some things out. But a lot of times, it's pretty straightforward. It's kind of like what Larry was talking about this morning. We have a great gospel. It's a gospel that's cross-cultural. It's a gospel that speaks to kings, and it also speaks to little children. Speaks to prostitutes, priests, the presidents. It speaks. It's cross-cultural. And that's good news. But we do have a few difficulties in going to interpret the text. So let's have a little fun. You're going to have to loosen up for this because this is going to get personal at times, okay? So you've got to get ready and take notes when you can. It's, it's good to do that. The first problem that we're going to have is this. And I'm being humorous when I say this. We bring us to the Bible study. Yeah, I mean, when you're by yourself reading the Word, there's a problem because you brought yourself there. Okay, now what could I possibly mean by that? What I mean is this, is that all of us bring everything that we are into the reading of the Bible. That means that for each of us, we have a worldview. We can't separate ourselves from that. We can think we can, we can try to, we can attempt to kind of hang all that we are over here and then open up the Word. It's impossible. You can't really do that, okay? So we have a worldview, we have a culture that we see every day and we live in. We have television that we watch and we see all of these things affect us. We have our own experiences that we've gone through. Believe it or not, listen, you can't really separate yourself from your past experience or your present experiences. You can't separate them. They exist. We have prior interpretations. We've heard a ton of sermons. We have loads of cliche statements, okay? We have tons of them. We have a bunch of Christian t-shirts that say them on the back, okay? All of these things, what our mama said, our daddy said, our preacher said, our teacher said, our friend said, our youth pastor said, what the TV evangelist said, all those things we bring with us to the study of God's Word. There's a whole lot of words, and over the next few weeks, I just want you to know, we will go to each section of the Bible. We won't be able to spend a whole lot of time on each section, but we will go to the epistles, and we'll go to the Gospels, and we'll go to the you know, Old Testament law, and we'll go to prophets. We'll look at these different things to see how badly we're affected by our own worldview and how we can help to get into the text. But for tonight, I just want you to see it this way. I'll just use an example. There's really two main examples I'll use. One is the word church. Now, I think about this often. Because for most of us, we have a visual in our head. We have a definition in our mind of what the church is. Let me give you an example of how this can be 
difficult when interpreting the Bible. Imagine if a New Testament Christian, a Christian from the first century, imagine that he appeared here today in 2011 through, I don't know how he did that, but he got here, okay? And we dropped him in the middle of University Boulevard on the Strip. Now, not in front of cars, but we drop him on the street, he's on the sidewalk, walking around, and he approaches a student. And he says, excuse me, can you tell me where I can find the church? And he's going to say, well, what kind? I don't know what kind, what do you mean? I, where is the church? And he's going to say, well, there's, down the road there's a Baptist one. Somewhere behind us there's a Presbyterian one. I heard there's a Methodist church over here. And there's even a Catholic church right around the corner. The New Testament Christian is going to say, you're not hearing me. (laughs) Okay, what I said was, where is the church? You just pointed to some buildings. So I said, the church is the people, not the building. Where are the people? Just a silly example. But as you see, for most of us, at least growing up, we think building before we think people. Now, we have some good teaching in this church, okay? And I think very highly of you and you picking up your Bible and reading about the body of Christ and loving the body of Christ. But we still just have in our minds ingrained the church is a building. But primarily, we know it's not. It's a people. Now, it's fine to call this a church, but you understand what I mean. It primarily is the people of God, the body of Christ, the redeemed of the Lord. Another example, and I'll just fly through this, is the word flesh. Paul oftentimes talks about the word flesh. And for us, most of the time, we automatically, when we hear flesh, we think skin or we think body. When Paul very rarely is going to use flesh to refer to that, he almost always is discussing or pointing to the sinful nature that we're all born with. And the NIV even translates it sinful nature. But for us, when we read, we automatically think flesh is body, flesh is skin, and we miss much of the meaning because he was talking about something greater sinful nature that we're all cursed with at birth. Just an example, and we could go through so many, but we bring us into the Bible. Secondly, we, we have a struggle. We struggle with language and cultural barriers. We struggle with language and cultural, cultural barriers. Now, the languages, that's pretty simple to understand, but it's very possible that some of you may not know about it. So it's fun for me to get to do that. The Bible has original languages that it's written in. It's Hebrew for the majority of the Old Testament. A tiny bit of it is written in Aramaic. And then the New Testament was written in Greek. Now, the reason why I say we have language barriers is this is that any translation that you have, and we're going to talk about translation in just a second, any translation that you have, 
there is going to be some difficulty in some areas that are harder than others in translating from Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic into English. It wouldn't matter what language it was. When you cross those lines, sometimes it's hard to translate. You know this if you've been overseas and you've spoken through, an, a, through a translator, an interpreter. It's really hard. Some words that you say, when they hear it, it doesn't mean the same thing. It's just difficult. And so what we need is, one, to be very thankful that we have people that pour their life into translation. And once again, I will say that in just a second. But we need to understand that when we're reading in the English, there is a lot of work that goes in bringing that language to us. Okay? And sometimes, sometimes, the language that is used is going to be something that we're going to have to dig a little deeper on because for us, the word that is translated may be difficult to fill the meaning where in the first century a person would have understood the Greek word in power. Does that make sense? Okay. Hopefully it'll make a little more sense when we talk about translation. But we have language and cultural barriers. What, I, what do I mean by cultural barriers? And I'll, I'll try to... This will bring in some of the words too. What about in the New Testament... We see a lot of use with the denarius. So it was a currency. The King James Bible translates, and I may know when I say this, I'm just using this as an example. The King James uses the word penny quite often. But if you read in other texts, even if you read about the parable of the laborers, you'll know that they went out and their wage was what? It was a denarius. Why? Because it was a day's wage. So for us, when we see the word penny, for instance, we think of a penny like we have in our pocket. A penny that if it falls out of our pocket, we won't really care. Okay? That's what we think about where for them the Daenerys was a day's wages. Now if I lose my day's wages, that's a bigger deal than if I lose a penny. So you see there's a cultural difference. There's a little language barrier there. Some of these are really fun, by the way. Uh, What about a tunic? (laughs) When's the last time that you wore your tunic? Now, some of you are like, well, we do have some tunics in in certain ways. But it's not a word that I use very often to describe anything that myself or my wife wears. Okay, A tunic. When Jesus is walking on the water, we know that that was the Sea of Galilee. And it says that he went out somewhere in the middle of that body of water. Now, for me... That doesn't really mean that much. But guess what? If I lived in that culture, if I walked those roads, I would know that the Sea of Galilee is about eight miles in, in width. So Jesus took one heck of a walk on the water. Okay? But see, I don't feel that when I look at it. But man, if I just do a little bit of study, I see that's pretty crazy. No wonder it was taking them so long to get across the water. And no wonder they were stuck out at sea. I mean, to me, I just think, well, he could throw a rock and hit them. But that wasn't the case. Jesus might could have. I don't know how strong he was, but anyway. What about when we hear sackcloth and ashes? That phrase. What about the tearing of clothes? And once again, we have good teaching here. And so, for most of you, you're like, well, I know what that means. But look, just just a person just reading this word and they get to sackcloth and ashes, they're going to be like, what is that? I mean, when's the last time that you were mourning? And you went and took some sackcloth and ashes and you put an egg on your head. It's been a really long time since I've done that. Okay? Wait, never. Okay. We know that means a sign of mourning or repentance. What about when David danced around in his epod? Remember that? 
Some of you are like, no. Okay. It, it happened, and his wife got pretty mad. He was being undignified. When's the last time you danced around in your epid? You know? I mean, there are some simple things. If you, if you just read the Word of God, you will understand why we need to dig. Okay? You'll understand why we need some interpreting to take place. Because I don't own an epid. So I need to understand what it is. Number three, I'm going to add this one real fast. It's not even on your outline. It's not even on my outline. I just thought about it, and it really bothers me that I didn't put this in there. Number three, we have a difficulty when we come to the Word of God because you and I, though we can, I pray that you are Christians, man, we have a constant battle with the flesh and the Spirit. We're still sinners. And you know as well as I do, that affects your time in the Word, doesn't it? Brother Herbert, sin in your life will affect your time in the Word, won't it? It will. That one was free. I just want to throw that in. Don't forget about that constant battle that's always taking place. So the point is, we have some difficulties. Now let me take a moment to discuss with you for just a second the need to interpret the Bible and share it with you in this way. This might be neat for you. It's important to note that any reader of an English Bible, any reader, all of you that have a Bible that is written in English, has already in some way been involved with interpretation. Well, how is that, you say? Because much scholarship and prayer has already taken place to give you the translation that you own and we should be forever grateful. I'm just telling you. I have known one guy who worked on a team translating. What a job. He spends his life studying Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic so that he can... At all times, at all times, they're constantly going through and they are evaluating. Are the words that we used, are the words that we translated 10 years ago, are they still speaking as clearly as they did 10 years ago? I mean, is it still speaking as clearly as it did that day? Is there a word that would more accurately point to what the original content was? Is, it, is, it, is there a word that could more accurately be used that would help people understand what it is that they're reading. And to help you kind of grasp that and kind of put what Bible you have and what category it should be in, I'm going to break translation down in two main categories. One is this. Translation occurs in word-for-word translations. Those are, that is also called a literal translation. If you have a I won't name all the Bibles, by the way, but if you have an ESV uh, or an NASB, a New King James, if you have those Bibles, you have a word-for-word translation. It is the most literal. It's taking word-for-word and then shaping the sentences. If you have an NIV, which is, by the way, a wonderful translation, if you have an NIV you have what is called, the next category, it's a phrase for phrase. It's not taking necessarily every single word, but it is taking the words, it's studying the language, and it's putting it in paragraph form to the best that can be communicated in our language. 
Okay? Both of those that I have mentioned, word for word and phrase for phrase, both of those are what is known as translations. They come from the original manuscript, well, from original text and languages. They take manuscripts and they take copies. That's what they're doing. And they are using that in their, to, and they're translating it into English. There's something else I want to point out, though. I don't even know if I gave you a blank for it. I didn't. I just wrote it in there for you. But I want to point out a paraphrase. A paraphrase. That's a version of the Bible which comes predominantly from translations. So they didn't take necessarily the original uh, language, but they took an English translation or whatever language they speak, and then they paraphrased it. That's like the Message Bible. Okay? So a Message Bible is not a translation. It's a paraphrase. It's a good tool, but it's not a translation. Just wanted to point that out. The New Living Bible, Bible, yes, is also a paraphrase. And once again, make sure I'm clear. These are good tools. They're just not necessarily the same as what we have in uh, in some of the, in a word for word or phrase for phrase. But all I'm wanting you to do is this, is be thankful. Be so thankful. For men and women who have given their life to studying and interpreting the Bible. Be so thankful. And I want to say to you this. Be in prayer for a generation of students who would give their lives to missions. Who would go to one of the 2,500 languages that right now do not have a Bible. They'd give their life to learning that culture and that language and give their life to the study of the original languages so that they can translate a Bible for people who do not have one. Be in constant prayer for that. I believe that God's raising up a generation that we're going to see that. Just to point out, William Carey is a very recognized missionary. William Carey translated the New Testament in 28 languages. Awesome. So anyway, so now that we have our Bible in our hands, we understand what a translation is. We understand some difficulties that we have in getting into the Word of God. Let's now look at what we do in actually interpreting the Word of God. So, first task is this. You ready to learn a word? It's time to learn a word. Exegesis. There it is. That's our first task. Proper exegesis. Now, some of you know what that means. Others of you do not. I have it for you. Under the next blank, exegesis is the careful, systematic study of the Scripture to discover the original intended meaning. Now, that is a really cool word to throw around, okay? It's fun. I I told Carol Barnett today, I told her, I said, look, you learn that word enough, you get a few of those in your vocabulary, you might have a pride problem. Okay, you throw that around at Barnes & Noble, you'll feel smart. Okay, there's really nothing to feel too smart about when you say it. It's a very simple word, a very simple meaning. It's this, is that when we get in the Bible, we must get into the original hearers' heads. We need to know what it is that they heard. We need to know their context and their culture. We must go then and there. That's a little phrase we're going to use. 
We're, we must go then and there so we can get here and now. Just a simple little thing you might want to write down. We must go then and there so we can get here and now. Now, how do we get into the original hearers' heads? How do we possibly, when reading the Pentateuch, get into the heads of the Israelite camp? How do we do that? When we're reading the Gospels, how do we possibly get into the mind of the disciples? How do we see what they saw and hear what they heard? How do we do that? Well... I'm glad that you asked. I'm going to give you quite a few things. Did I give you? No, I didn't. You've got to write it in yourself. Okay. We're going to look at three ways that can help you do that. The first thing is this, is you must ask the right questions when you read. Ask the right questions when you read. And by the way, take time when you read the Bible. That's a big, that's a big issue. It is for all of us. We talked about time in our first week. Man, time is hard to come by. But when you read the Word, take your time reading it. Pay attention when you read. I'm going to give you two examples of good questions to ask. And remember, the rest of our time together, for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at this in different examples in the Bible. But one tonight, think about the letter to the Philippians. Let's ask a few questions. What about, who wrote this letter? When was it written? Who was it written to and what was its purpose? Why was it written? Answering those simple questions, asking those simple questions, will move us so much closer to understanding the intent of that book of the Bible. Another thing, when you get into a letter, when you're reading the epistles, read it like a letter. Okay, if Catherine writes me a letter, and hey, it's sweet, we write each, letter, each other letters sometimes, okay? I love getting a letter from Catherine, she loves getting one from me. There is never a time that she gives me a letter and I read the first paragraph and then throw it in a drawer, okay? I don't do that. If you can, and I would try to make this a practice, when you approach one of the epistles, read the entire thing in one sitting. Now I realize, some of them are... It's more of a task than others. Okay? But do your best to make that a practice. If you're going, especially if you're going to study a book of the Bible, don't just read the first chapter of Romans, guys. Take out a part of your day on Saturday and sit down and read all of the chapters in it. It helps you so much. It's amazing how many questions people have about Romans 1 and 2 and they hadn't read Romans 8 yet. Okay? You know, we must read the whole letter. It gets better after chapter 3. Okay? It really does. Woo! Praise God. Okay. So the letter of Philippians, that would be something we could do for that. Well, well, Paul wrote it. We know it was written in the first century. We know it was written to the church at Philippi. And the purpose was to express that we can have joy in Christ. No matter our circumstances, Paul, where was he when he wrote it? He was in prison. Okay, just a good, that's an example. One other example. What about the parable of the prodigal son? Now, I've taught on that before. I'm not going to spend hardly any time. Just look at some questions. Who is it that's speaking here? Well, we have a, some grumbling and murmuring that we have from the Pharisees and scribes. We have Jesus who's going to go in to tell three stories about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Okay, so we got Jesus speaking, we got some Pharisees speaking. 
Who's he speaking to? Well, when Jesus speaks, he's going to speak to the Pharisees and the scribes. And when the scribes and Pharisees were talking, they were just speaking out loud to a crowd so that Jesus would hear them. Okay? It's important to know that when Jesus speaks, he's speaking to them. What's the context? Well, Jesus has been sitting, eating with sinners and tax collectors. That's what they said. What's the purpose? Well, the point was Jesus told some stories to tell the religious Pharisees and scribes that they needed to repent of their self-righteousness. They needed to love as God loves. God loves it, tax collectors and sinners, even if they don't. It helps to ask questions. It keeps us from running away with just what we want to get from the text. It's amazing how many people will just tell a bunch of stories and ramble a bunch of cliche statements and never have actually gotten to the text. Happens all the time. Don't do that. Ask good questions. Ask the right questions. Number two, use solid study tools. I'm going to give you some examples of those. This is just something you can write down. A great study tool is a study Bible. It would be the first tool that I would really point you to. Get a good study Bible. I like to suggest, uh, you know, the ones that I have and the ones that I love and the ones that I've used over the last few years. And and so I'll give those to you. I respect it greatly and, and it is respected by a lot of people who love Jesus and love the Word of God. One is this, the ESV Study Bible. It's wonderful. Such a great tool. Okay, the ESV Study Bible. Another one, a John MacArthur Study Bible. The guy is smart. The guy loves the Bible. Okay, he loves Jesus. He studies it like crazy, and he writes about it all the time. Okay, take use of that. In these study Bibles, we can help see just from reading an intro. We can understand history, themes, purpose, who's the writer, how old was he, (laughs) when did he write it, the audience that received the message. We can receive all that just by reading an intro. That really helps us to do proper exegesis. We've got to get to the then and there before we can get to the here and now. I want to warn you, though. Never, ever. Replace your time in the Word of God with some man's notes. Ever. I don't care how godly he is. Because those are some godly people that wrote in both of those study Bibles, but I want you to know, we should never replace our time in the Word with what another man has written. We need the wisdom of God. Thirdly is this. I know we're getting close to time. Be consistent with your exegesis. Be consistent. And this doesn't mean be consistently reading a study Bible. Keep in mind, there are people all around this world, brothers and sisters in Christ, who don't have study Bibles. Okay? But they can still do proper exegesis by asking questions. Always ask questions. Don't just wait until you get stumped. Every time you read the Bible, ask the right questions. And when need be, go to a study tool. Our second task, and we'll close with this, we'll we'll finish up. Our second task is this. Our first one was exegesis, getting the then and there. Our second one is going to be the word hermeneutics. 
Now that is once again a word that you just don't use that much. You might hear it more often than what we just looked at. But that involves exegesis. That's the first process of that. But hermeneutics is basically, it is going to be um, the, the, the task that covers the whole field of interpretation. Okay, it's the practice of interpretation. And so it is going to be, how do we get from here, the then and there? How do I get from a story involving David? How do I get from there all the way to the New Testament, all the way to 2011? How do I do that? And that's what hermeneutics is. It's going to be how to get from then and there to here and now. And the way we do that, and, the, and everything that is involved in that, is what brought me to a great love of the Scriptures. It's so about three or four years ago, I really studied hermeneutics and, and how to do it well and good questions to ask. And my, my love for God and my love for the Bible just blossomed. It's because I was finally reading the way, or at least, listen, I pray I am, reading the way that the Spirit intends me to read. I, I was finally looking at the whole story. I, I was finally not just taking, not doing the iTunes Bible reading plan. You know about that one? You ever? How many of you get on iTunes and you, you buy a song from a CD because you wouldn't dare want to listen to the other ten songs that are on it, and so you buy one because you like the way it sounded? Pay 99 cents instead of $10? That kind of thing. A lot of us... We have that problem when it comes to the Bible. We do the iPod, the, the iTunes Bible reading plan, and we just pick and choose what it is that we want to read. We pick and choose what it is that we want to hear because some of it's more difficult than the others. Some of it makes me feel better than others. I love to hear when Jesus says, Come all ye who are weary and heavy laden, because, man, I'm tired. But I do not want to hear Jesus tell me to go. The problem is, though, Jesus says both. It's also kind of humorous how many, and I, listen, I go through these all the time, but we have certain theological you know, camps that we want to jump in, and, and each theological camp, and if you know what I'm talking about, you'll, you'll feel me here, but each group likes to have certain verses that are like highlighted, you know. It's like, these are the ones that are highlighted and bolded in my Bible, and so they'll always quote those, but then they'll ignore the ones that the other camp would use. You know what I'm saying? And we just kind of, we have the ability, because we're just goofy, to pick and choose what it is that we want and we ignore sometimes all of Scripture. Hermeneutics and doing that properly is going to help us see the entire Bible. You know, we're going to look back before we look forward. We're always going to look at what the original intent was and try our best to get there before we ever think of crossing the bridge to us today. That is, my friends, how you get proper application. I'll end with the, the danger here. The danger of picking and choosing can lead to something greater than Christian cliche statements. It can lead to false doctrine. If you pick and choose enough, you might find yourself falsely uh, speaking the Bible. You might, you might speak things that are false. The Mormons baptize for the dead based on a passage found in 1 Corinthians 15. They say, well, the Bible says it. 
Well, didn't mean that. Well, the Jehovah's Witness reject the deity of Christ based on a few misinterpreted passages. Present day, we have the name it, claim it, prosperity gospel. You can get on TV at 2 o'clock in the morning and see the passage from 2 Kings that tells you how you can have a million dollars by this time next year. If you'll just ask God, He promised He'd give it to you. What? Listen, that's what happened. Happened to a few people who just picked and chose. They, they started picking what they wanted from the Bible, and after a while, their hearts really believed it. I'm going to leave you with a final quote here, and then we'll be done. It's kind of the theme for where we're going. I really got it out of this book right here. This is a wonderful book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. I suggest it to anybody. You can buy it at Barnes & Noble or anywhere. It's a great book. But the writer of that said this. He said, a text cannot mean what it never meant. And that's what we want to do. It can't mean something that it never meant. It doesn't matter how much we want it to mean something. If it never meant it, it doesn't mean it now. And I want to know what's true. I want to know what God is saying to me. I want to know what he's done. I don't want to stare at Jesus as I'm watching him live in the gospel accounts and just sit there and go... I don't get what this means for me. I don't get what this means for me. I don't get what this means for me. Maybe it's just telling what Jesus did. Okay, I don't want to stare as he's calling calling the disciples to himself and just go, I'm not real sure how I can take this and use it today. Maybe we just need to take it and see that Jesus called some disciples to himself and those disciples grew in him and they wrote accounts that we have in our Bible and they lived for Jesus and they died for Jesus and now he's known in Tuscaloosa, Alabama today. Sometimes we do such a job trying to get application and we miss what the Bible is actually saying. I'm going to pray for us and just know that everything that we're doing in this study is because we as a staff, we want you to be able to truly read the Bible, believe the Bible, live the Bible. And I love what we have added, love the Bible. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For your word, thank you for just the ability that we have for common people. We don't have to be PhDs. We can can just pick up your word. We can read it. Thank you for the many people who have fought, for people who have even given their lives so that we have a copy of the Bible ourselves. Lord, may we not abuse it. Oh, but may we just love it so much. May we seek out wisdom from your spirit in this word. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Colby. We're going to extend an invitation because in in one of the scriptures that was read tonight early in the service, it talked about that you have to have spiritual understanding. You have to have the Spirit of God living in you before you can have spiritual understanding. You will never understand very much of the Word of God unless you have God's Spirit living in you. And the way to have God's Spirit living in you is to have a new birth, a spiritual birth. It begins by confessing that you're a sinner, that you fail to please God, you fail to to perfectly keep His commandments, and you are in, 
uh, you cast yourself upon the mercy of God. You need his forgiveness. You need to be forgiven of your sin. And you need a relationship with him. And the only way that comes is by trusting in what Christ, who was God in the flesh, what he did when he came to this earth and lived a perfect life, died on a cross as a substitute for all who have put their faith in him. And then you must believe on him, trust what he did to be for you personally, and receive Christ as your Savior and submit your life to him as your Lord. You give your life over to the control, the reign and rule of Christ in your life. When you do that, God does something neat. He puts his life in you. He puts his spirit in you. And when you have God's spirit in you, you're able to have spirit, you have a spiritual heart and you can have spiritual understanding. You can understand the truth of God's word. Now, you don't get it all at one time. Just like when you go through school in life, you don't get it all in the first grade or kindergarten. It's, but in the same way, you will understand more. The more you obey what God has revealed to you, the more truth he'll, you'll have more understanding of truth you'll get. If you're not doing what you already know to do that God's revealed to you, why should he reveal and give you greater understanding about other parts of Scripture? So there may be someone here tonight that you feel the need. God's Spirit's working in your heart and calling you to come to him, to trust Christ with your life, and to trust him as your Savior and Lord. Receive him into your life. Maybe there's someone tonight that God's put that in your heart the spirit of God's drawing you and you would respond in obedience to the call of God to come to him to come to Jesus maybe there's someone that was here this morning and when we gave an invitation you felt the prompt of the Holy Spirit to respond in some way to be obedient to him and you just resisted that and the service was over and you left and you're back tonight God's Spirit's giving you a second opportunity. If the Lord's speaking to your heart, you need to respond, whatever it might be. We open our invitation to come to Christ. If you're already a believer and you need a church home, we invite you to come and unite with our church here at Alberta Baptist Church. If you've received Christ and never followed him in, in believer's baptism by being immersed, picturing the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and your own death, burial, and future resurrection to come, but the spiritual resurrection that's happened now and the future physical resurrection that will happen when Christ comes back again and we have resurrection life. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And